to the angel at the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your work, I know your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. I know also that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and will take your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. It takes me back about 40 years to all those eager students waiting to learn. Well, when you get to adolescence, there's a conversation that needs to be had. And this is the opportunity to have that conversation. Let me set the scene. Uh, Come with me to the Isle of Patmos. John has been exiled. And on a Sunday morning, he's seated on the beach. It's sunrise. And as the sun begins to appear over the horizon, he hears the crashing of the surf and he sees the colors being painted across the sky. And all of a sudden, the sound of the surf is transformed into a voice. And those colors on the horizon start taking the form of an image. And he sees a personage. And he hears the voice speaking to him saying, I've got something for you to do. And that voice identifies the personage as the one who was dead but is now alive. John has a personal encounter 
with the living Lord. And in that vision, he has one of those LED experiences, light-emitting deity. There are several of them in the scriptures. And something happens to John. John's intoxicated, let's face it. He says so right there in chapter 1. He says the spirit took control of me. There he is on the beach looking at the sunrise and the spirit took control of him. John is DUI on Sunday morning dreaming under the influence. Suppose that could happen today? Do you suppose we could get DUI on Sunday morning? It just might happen. Well, as so often happens in a personal encounter with Jesus, he got an assignment. John, I need you to write some letters. But John was a little confused at this point, and Jesus helped him out by interpreting, what what are those seven stars in his right hand? Those are the angels of the churches. Uh, I'd like somebody to pick up on that at a pastor's conference sometime. Now, these are not cherubic beings flitting around plucking harp strings. (laughs) The Greek word here is angelos, messenger. These are God's messengers to the churches. And those messengers are the pastors, the ones who are to deliver God's message to the congregation. And he says to John, first of all, I want you to write to the church at Ephesus. Now the church at Ephesus was a great church. Paul spent more time there than anywhere else. It was a challenging place to be because Ephesus was the center of trade between Europe and Asia. And there were all sorts of cultures and languages and religious persuasions among the populace. And yet, the church persisted and survived. And, my goodness, all the commendation that Jesus had for that church. They had done amazing things. One of the great challenges of the first century church was false teachers. And the church at Ephesus had been able to address false teachings and recognize them and do away with them. There were false claims to apostleship and 
church had been able to recognize that and do away with those false claimants. They had persisted. This was no adolescent church. This was a, an old church by the time this letter was written. It had been a very productive church. And yet, Jesus says, this is my great disappointment. In all of the good things you have done, you just don't love the way you used to. And this is a pretty serious thing. As it's spelled out, it's basically a life and death situation for the church at Ephesus. You need to repent. You need to change your mind, your way of thinking. If you don't, I want to take away that golden lampstand. Well, Jesus had identified those lampstands too. Those were the churches. And I think he's saying the church is going to die if you don't do something. In the summer of 1953, in order to fulfill a requirement for graduation from Moody Bible Institute, I was expected to spend the summer in a home mission experience. And I wound up in Kinder, Louisiana, working with Paul Leeds, who was the pastor of the Congregational Church there. Paul was 83 years old. He was still pastoring two churches. the Congregational Church in Kinder and the Kasati Indian Church down on Bio Blue. I learned something about his background. He had aspired to go to the mission field and uh, the mission board had said, you need some experience before we send you out. And so they sent him to Kinder. Sixty years had passed and he was still pastoring the church in Kinder and the church down on Bioblue. He was, in my opinion at that time, uh, the most godly man I had ever lived with. One Sunday night, he asked me to preach at the church in Kinder, and I preached from this text. At the end of the service, he had taken a seat at the back. At the end of the service, he came forward, I presume, to conclude the service. When he reached the front, he turned around and faced his congregation and said, My church has become more important to me than my Lord. And that has to change. Mm 
he had drifted away from the way he had first loved his Lord. Can you remember that relationship? Can you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with Jesus? Would you share that with us? What's it like to fall in love with Jesus? That's all I wanted to say. You feel totally safe. <coughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, the, the feeling I had was feeling totally safe. Like nothing could go wrong as long as I continued to believe. The things around me and my relationships became three-dimensional where they were once two-dimensional. There was a life. I felt I had worth. I joined the church at nine, but when I was about 30, I began to study, and I read Paul's letters, word for word, with Strong's Concordance, and I understood grace, and it was like I was on cloud nine for months. I was such a young child that it scared me and I was at a service without my parents but I'll never forget that night and it's been the same ever since these are some personal experiences in that Corinthians passage Paul speaks in the first person. He says, you know, if I knew Hebrew and Greek and Latin and Farsi and some of those undecipherable angelic languages, and I didn't have love, it would be of no value. If I were an eloquent preacher and I had all of the knowledge that one could glean, I didn't have love, it wouldn't mean anything. If I had faith that 
would bring about impossible things. But it didn't have love, it wouldn't have value. If I was so beneficent that I gave away everything I possessed and I didn't have love, it would be meaningless. Let me borrow a phrase from Cole Porter. What is this thing called love? What is it? You know, I substituted at Atkinson on Friday at, at a school, and I noticed on one of the hallways there were some hard-to-describe words on the wall, and one of those was love. And one of the pictures <clears throat> was of a kid and a parent holding hands, and it said, love is. And the, the child had written, when my mommy holds my hand. By definition, I think it's the essence of God manifest mm -hmm. through us. Love is the feeling of belonging. I think we're getting the essence. Love is a relational. St Go ahead. Go ahead, Evan. There were uh, found that there was a lot, a lot of aspects that it wasn't just uh, something magical that you fell into, and and, and it, it was that, but it was also something that you kept working at, and that you had you ch had to keep mm. choosing to do in new ways. I'm going to describe love as a relational state of being. A state of being which depends on relationship. Love cannot exist in isolation. It can only exist in relationship. Love is a gift from God, and for me, the answer to that question that kept bugging me as a teenager when I looked at that big Texas sky and saw all those glittering stars and planets and felt so infinitesimal and reflected the words of the eighth Psalm, who am I that God would care about me? But to know that the essence of God is love and that love cannot exist alone and that God made me so that he could love me and I could love him was an amazing revelation. Well, this letter that we started out with to the church at Ephesus, it's addressed to a church. 
It's addressed to a congregation. A congregation that did an awful lot of good things. What do you suppose happened to that congregation in Ephesus that would cause Jesus to say to them, in spite of all of the good things you've done, you don't love me the way you used to. What happened? I'm not sure that people could have made this um, assumption in Ephesus, but for me, oftentimes, I get in a routine, and I get so focused on the way things are and always have been, and I just do what I know to do, that often I don't take time to stop and look around and say, okay, Lord, what are you up to now, and what do you want me to do? I think sometimes we just forget. We forget about Jesus. It's for me it's that simple. I just forget. <laughs> I think it's easy to redefine love where you look at this is all that I've done and accomplished. And therefore, I am a loving person, and we get so busy doing something that we forget to take the time to reach out and find those connections. Yeah, is it possible for a congregation to get so taken up in doing, in doing good things? Is it possible? That even a church may become an idol? Is it possible that we can lose our connection with what it is we were called to be? Remember that word that gets translated church in the New Testament is what? Echalecho, the called out ones. We have a calling. Did you read that quote from Mother Teresa? We start defining ourselves in terms of what we do instead of who we are called to be. I think that is very likely what was happening at the church at Ephesus. They were taken up 
with doing good things. But somehow they forgot what they were called to be. To be in relationship with God. To be in relationship with one another. And the thing that establishes that relationship we call love. You can't define it. You can only experience it. In that Corinthian text, Paul gives a beautiful characterization of how love behaves. But in order for that behavior to occur, there must be relationship. And so, these are the facts of life for a church. You can get so involved in doing all of the good things that you forget, you drift away from what your calling really is. This book's a love story. It's about a lover in pursuit of his bride. And who is the bride? The church. Later on in this vision of John's there's a wedding scene and the consummation of that relationship takes place and Christ and his bride are finally united what a glorious time We are called into relationship with God himself. We are called to give our prime allegiance to that relationship. Out of that grows a lot of things. Out of that grows A ministry that touches the lives of others. But without that relationship, without that love, it doesn't happen. And so, Providence, what do you think? If we were intoxicated on a beach on Sunday morning, Jesus would have to say to us,
What would be our love quotient? Do you love me the way you used to? Do you remember what it was like when we first fell in love? Have you somehow drifted away? You can't survive as my body unless you maintain that relationship. Now, I hear a lot of references in CBF circles about being the hands and feet of Christ. Maybe we should be aspiring to be the heart of Christ. For after all, it's the heart that enables the hands and feet. How's your love life, Providence?